Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. If I were to ask you, who are you? How would you respond? You know, usually when we go to a meeting or we, we go to a dinner party or, or maybe we go to a, a new gathering, maybe we meet someone new and, and we're trying to, like, um, they're trying to get to know us and they ask us questions, uh, we usually respond with what we do, right? We respond with, well, this is my career, this is my wife, my husband, uh, these are our kids, this is what I've done in the past, and this is what I like. And we never actually respond with who we are, right? That's, that's just weird. And you remember when you were young and growing up and people would always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Isn't it interesting how that always had to do with a career? And it never actually meant, hey, what type of person do you want to be when you grow up? What type of parent do you want to be? What type of uh, spouse? Uh, uh, maybe do you want to be trustworthy, honorable, and, and forgiving, and, and, and loving, maybe? Usually they would ask us, well, do you want to be a firefighter, an astronaut? And most of us know that didn't happen, but... <laughs> you know, what's, what, what's funny is that, you know, when we become an, an, an adult... Um, we're bombarded with, with life, right? You know, we have bills, we have responsibilities. We have uh, to take care of all of the things that, that come around. You know, we have children to attend to, a spouse to cook for, may, maybe a car that we haven't changed the oil in the past six months because of all the other responsibilities. Uh, and, and when we're drawn into the things that life require of us, we hardly ever actually stop and ask ourselves, hey, who am I becoming? And do I like who I'm becoming? You know, I always ask myself, you know, if, if I weren't me and I was someone else and I got to meet me, would I like me? That's kind of a tongue twister, right? Like, would, 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 would you date yourself? You know, today I want to ask us this question. I want to kind of poke at our souls, maybe at our past experiences, maybe at our, at our core beliefs, and really maybe get closer to answering that question, who are you? Is that okay with everyone? You know, what, what really defines who we are, right? And, and another word that we can kind of, you know, talk about this is our identity. What, what defines our identity? See, for me, I... I had this problem, and I probably still have this problem, but for me personally, and, and, and I'm going to you know, open up a little bit during the sermon if that's okay with you, but my, what I struggled and what usually defined me was my career. And, and, and you know, in your 20s growing up, it, you know, there's some like myself who we tend to change our careers a lot. When we're in college, we maybe change our majors four times, and we add another like three, four years to college, and, you know, most of the family are like, wow, you're still in college, huh? So make that a career. Um, and, and so my career was usually what defined me. And so uh, when there was a moment where, uh, you know, I was studying film, that was kind of like my motivator. I, I tried to talk 
um, like a film student. I tried to make all of those my hobbies. That's what I would watch. And then when I wanted to be a counselor, like, you know, I, I tried to surround my identity with being a counselor. And when I wanted to be a minister, you know, that's kind of what defined me. But the, the, the negative side of that was that usually when my career wasn't progressing or if it was stagnant or maybe I didn't do too well in my so, so-and-so called career, I usually got depressed because that defined who I was. It was if I'm succeeding in my career, then I'm succeeding at life. And see, we allow so many things to define who we are. Maybe for you, it's a a boyfriend or a girlfriend who defines who you are. and, And really, you have no identity outside of a relationship that, like, you don't know how to be single. Maybe, maybe your kids have defined your identity to a point where they're your whole world and maybe you've even neglected your spouse or maybe your health. Maybe you've allowed an addiction to define who you are. Maybe pornography, alcohol, even food to define who you are and you can't do anything without feeling shame and embarrassment. But see, the reality is that we cannot live the life that God created us to live if we don't know who we are. And so we allow all these things to define us when in reality we should just be allowing one person to define who we are. If you look there in your outline, Genesis 1, 26, It said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I think I'm getting a lot of feedback. Um. Can you believe that we reflect the image of God? I mean, we read these things and, you know, they kind of pass over our head, right? But it's amazing now, technically, when someone looks at you, you reflect the image of God. See, in churches and in church culture, you know, it's kind of known that our number one problem is sin. See, we talk a lot about sin in, in churches and on the pulpit. And though I, I do uh, think that sin is really bad, I, I, I don't think it's our number one issue. I think that really our number one issue is our identity. See, because if we look at sin like a, like a cliff, right? Um, sinning is you jumping off the cliff. And then, you know, once you start sinning, it's kind of that slippery slope that you just keep sinning and sinning and sinning. Uh, If you look at sin as like jumping off the cliff, what gets us to the cliff in the first place? What gets us to want to jump, to want to sin? See, sin is a symptom of something deeper. And seeing in church and and at home and in different cultures, you know, we're we're so used to addressing symptoms. Even as parenting, it's called it's called band-aid parenting, where we just address symptoms when really we and we try we don't we ignore the core problem. See, maybe you're like, oh, you you have a drinking problem, but but really, what are what are you trying to avoid? What are you trying to numb? What are you trying to run away from reality? 
See, maybe you have a dating problem. You're like, oh, she just dates whoever, whoever, you know, walks inside those doors. Uh, but, but really, what, what are the self-esteem issues that that person is dealing with? And maybe for your teenager kid, you're like, I don't, you know, the way he's dressing or the way she's talking and, and acting, I, I don't understand. And, and see, may, may, maybe they, they're just trying to fit in to a specific group. And so we, a lot of times, address symptoms, and I believe that our sin is a symptom of a distorted identity. See, because if you knew who you were, you would have a much easier time going to the places that you need to go and avoiding those where you don't belong. See, because we all know that a bed doesn't belong in a restroom, right? Why not? See, because a bed isn't a toilet. It's not a sink. It's not a, it's not a bath. It's not a shower. It's a bed. And so it belongs in the bedroom. Where do you belong? Where do you belong? See, we begin to live a life of sin because we forget who we are. We keep going over. Uh, 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 we keep chasing the same type of loser guy because we don't know who we are. We continue to overspend on clothes and, and cars and homes that we can't afford because we don't know who we are. We want the opinions of others to define who we are. We continue to reach for the bottle or the joint because we don't know who we are and we're just trying to fit in or maybe mask something that's really deep inside. Come on, somebody. We're in church this morning. And so... I want us to talk about these three things that I believe will get us closer to our identity and closer to who we are. And as I was studying um, a lot, it was a, it was a very difficult study um, because I believe that in my culture and, and the way that I grew up in, in, in a Hispanic household is we really didn't talk too much about these three things. And so if you're in that same boat, um, just stay with me and um, we'll get through this together. But the first thing that we can do in order to discover and get closer to our identity is forgive our parents. The first thing that we have to do is forgive our parents. And I want to be very specific here. If you're a parent in here, I'm not specifically talking to you as a parent. I want you to think about your parent and your upbringing and how you grew up. Some of you are like, what? What does forgiving our parents have to do with who we are, right? You know what's... what's in, so interesting is that most of who we are, most of the things that we do and that we like came and was developed between the ages of 1 and 10. And actually, the most important of those ages was between 1 and 3. Isn't that insane? The age that you think all you have to do is burp them, change them, and feed them is actually the age where they learn nurture, where they learn safety, where they develop a voice where they develop a personality. And see, for most of us, we, that was our parents, right? Between the age of one and ten, that was our parents. Although some of us grew up with maybe an aunt, uncle, uh, a grandparent, maybe it was not a relative at all. And so I want to talk about that. You know, you ever realize that you do some things and you have no idea why you do them? You ever think about that? Like, why do I do this? You know, one, a good example is how you vacation. I hope no one in here is like, what's a vacation? <laughs> um, but, you know, just as a simple 
thing about how we vacation. See, some of us, like myself, um, we, when we go on vacation, we like to stay inside, maybe chill in the pool, um, maybe just, you know, just relax, sleep a lot, right? Uh, but then there are those who like to vacation, and um, they like to go out, and they like to explore and see different monuments and walk 20 miles a day and come back more tired than when they left on their vacation. <laughs> And you ever wonder, it's like, why do I like to vacation that way? It's because it came from your parents. That's how your parents vacation. That's how you were like, wow, this is the normal way to vacation. And one of the interesting moments that my wife and I had when we first got married is like, not only how we are is developed by our parents between 1 to 10, but also what we notice. Because when we first got married, we... we, um, You know, I kind of constantly found myself looking at our, our, at our restroom trash bin, um, kind of like, cool. <laughs> like, pretty often. Uh, you know the hill. Um, and I always wondered, I was like, why, why is it always like? And, and I kind of found myself always changing it. And it wasn't until we kind of had that conversation where... Um, we realized that we do a lot of things because that's how we grew up and that's what we were taught. So like in my household, that was like one of my three chores is to make sure the restroom trash was always empty. And so I took that into marriage, whereas um, my wife, it wasn't really a priority. And, then, and another example that, that it switched and vice versa is I never cleaned a shower in my life. I didn't know they were supposed to be cleaned. And... <laughs> And my wife was like, well, I clean the shower and you never do. And it was like because she was taught by her parents to clean the shower, whereas I wasn't. Isn't that amazing? How who we are and the life that we live largely had to do with how we grew up as a child. See, even how we react to stress, how we treat other people, We learned it from what we saw our parents, not from what they told us, but from what we saw. And so that's why how you treat each other as a married couple is so important, especially in front of your kids, because they will learn to do the same. And so if your parents maybe were very cynical and wary of relationships, then we go into adulthood wary and cynical of relationships. And this is why, this is why it's so important for us to forgive our parents in order to figure out who we are. Is because we formulate an, an identity based on what our parents thought about us. And see, maybe for some of you, that was great. Maybe that was filled with encouragement. Maybe you were filled with love. But maybe some of you learned at a very young age that you're an irritation, an interruption. And see, parental wounds are the deepest that we carry because they start so young. A baby's needs is so complicated. See, their internal needs, they need nurture, they need safety, they need coaching. See, parenting is not so much you paying for all of their things. Parenting is properly equipping them for the life that they will eventually live, equipping them for the world that we live in. See, because safety, safety only lasts until you're around. And so I asked, it's like, would you rather your child be safe or, or strong? 
And you know, most parents would be like, well, I want both, of course, but we always do one at the other, at the expense of the other. And so, like I said, safety uh, lasts only until you're around, but strength outlasts you as a parent. See, safety is all around here, but strength is in here. And so that's what I mean when I talk about properly equipping a child. Did you know how we are in our future relationships with friends, in, in our marriage, uh, even with our future kids, and how we actually choose a partner comes by how well we were equipped as a child. See, for example, if, you know, if, if a toddler is, is playing with a, a, a dog, um, you know, the, the dog is great and the child is having a great time, but, but let's say that the toddler pulls on the dog's tail. Well, the dog's natural response is to nip at the toddler. But then the toddler learns that dogs aren't safe, that dogs don't like me, that I should stay away from dogs. And see, proper parenting is not, not, it's not necessarily saying, hey, don't ever play with the dog. No, no, no. It's equipping the child to be able to be self-aware of what they're doing and saying, hey, the dog is great. Just don't pull its tail. And so many of us are unable to see red flags maybe going into a relationship because we simply were never taught to see those red flags. And it's not necessarily the parent's fault. The parent might be um, focused on maybe getting the kid to college, maybe focused on the sports. Maybe they're just in a hurry or tired. And more importantly, maybe they weren't equipped growing up. And so this talk that I'm doing is not necessarily to find fault in our parents, but just to recognize their imprint in our lives. You know, the historical books in Scripture, they kind of give a sequential account of all the kings of, of Israel and Judah after they, after they split up. And one of the common... Uh, things and cycles that we find is that every king usually ended up leading how his dad led. And so if the dad was a bad king, then the son was usually a bad king. It looked there in your outlines, 1 Kings 15, 1 through 3. It says, in the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah became king of Judah and he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Makah, uh, daughter of Abishalom. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Have you ever told yourself, oh, I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm never going to be like my dad. And then, you, you know, and the stress comes and you find yourself in a situation where you're like, wow, that's something my dad would have said. That's something my dad would have done. You know, most of us, we, we kind of have this blame and, and resentment uh, towards our parents, but it's very unconscious. It's kind of like in the back of our head. And most of the time, we actually don't understand that dynamic that we have with our parents, you know, because we don't know how to put it into words. But actually, there are some of you, uh, some of us, who blame our parents consciously. 
We blame our parents maybe for our temper, for our life choices, for, for our upbringing. We say, you know, I drink a lot because my dad drank a lot, or, or I don't know how to show a lot of love because I wasn't shown a lot of love growing up. And so resentment begins to build up in our hearts because we just simply wish, unconsciously or consciously, that we would have lived a different childhood. You know, some, some have serious, serious anxiety because of the things that they experienced as a kid. I remember when I was just nine years old, nine years old, and um, I would get this feeling inside of me that I couldn't quantify. I, I didn't know what it was, that I would, you know, go to our living room like at two in the morning and just run around and splash my face and, and try to calm down. And it almost was like, like nightmares, but like, in, re- in real life, and I didn't realize until I was in my 20s that that was serious anxiety because of the trauma that I experienced growing up. Nine years old. And so please, if you're a parent or, or maybe you're thinking of becoming a parent, you know, one day it's like, this isn't, this isn't a game. We raise real people who have real problems and who become part of society. And it's important that we at least are as equipped as possible. But if it is unconscious or conscious, we all have to get to the point where we forgive our parents. And even if you didn't grow up with a parent, maybe you were, you know, raised by someone else, that's even much more of a reason for you to forgive your parent. Did you, did you know that... How we are loved as children influences our capacity to believe in God as an adult. And so if you were loved as a child, you're more likely to believe in God. But what's amazing is even though we find cycles and cycles in Scripture, and I'm sure that you've seen cycles and cycles in your family tree and generations, what's amazing is that it takes one person to say, no, I'm not going to continue this cycle. I'm going to be different. I am going to choose God over habits. I'm going to choose God over addictions. Look at there in Hezekiah 29, 1 through 2. It says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became a king. He reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father who? David had done. You know what's interesting is that David wasn't actually Hezekiah's dad. See, Hezekiah's dad was actually Ahaz, and and Ahaz was a terrible king. He worshipped other gods. He actually destroyed furniture in the temple. But see, what's interesting is that when you choose God in your life, see, God doesn't just give you purpose. God changes your past. God changes your present, and God changes your future. Come on, can I get a bigger amen in this place? See, God doesn't want to leave you where you're at. And see, what's amazing is that, yes, maybe some of us didn't have the best of childhood. But see, when we choose God, when we choose God, incredible healing happens. And that's where we get the strength and the power to forgive. And so we forgive them, we love them, and we honor them with boundaries and grace. But we have to do this in order to get to who we are. The second thing that we have to do to get close to our identity 
is we have to forgive ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves. Did you know that most of us don't think too highly of ourselves? Some of you are like, not my husband. We don't, we don't think too highly of ourselves, and our lifestyles reflect that. How do you eat? How do you take care of your body? Do you exercise? Do you get enough sleep? Do you smile? Do you have fun? Do you have joy in your life? Do you take care of yourself? Did you know that we're more likely to administer medication to our pets than we are to ourselves? I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> you know, you ever heard the saying like, oh, we don't deserve dogs. I'm just like the dog that just poops all day and sleeps and, and may have you walk them. And why is it that we think lesser of ourselves than our pets? Is it maybe because of what we have done? Is it maybe because of how many times we've let ourselves down? You know, some of you, some of you are, some of you are really hard on yourselves. You know, I, I know a person who, who was unfaithful in his marriage. And every time, you know, we have a conversation and he tries to talk to me and gives me advice. He always prefaces it with, you know, I know I'm nobody to say anything because of what I've done. And you know what I've done. But, and he goes on to progress with the advice. And I'm like, what, why define yourself by what you've done? Why? You know, we unconsciously tell ourselves, how can God love someone like me? Some, someone who has done what I've done, who has said what I've said. See, this is shame. Guilt is okay. Guilt actually leads us to repentance. Guilt leads us to, ch to, to change something, but shame. See, guilt says I did something bad, but shame says I am bad. But look at what Jeremiah 31, 34 says there in your outline. It says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Isn't that amazing? You ever heard the saying, you know, for, forgive but don't forget? See, that, that's necessary in, in, in our, you know, relationships, but that's not something in God's vocabulary. It, it, it says, remembers, he remembers our sin no more. That means God does not remember the sin that you've done. Why do we? Why do we? You know, I said that... Uh, a big part of our identity has to do with what our parents thought about us. But another big, huge part of our identity is what we think of ourselves. See, because what we think of ourselves can override everything. You want to know why? Because the mind is powerful. The mind is so powerful. You ever heard cases where women think they're pregnant and they get all the symptoms? It's not to make fun of them. I'm just <laughs> it, it happens. Um, 
And that's because they, the, the mind is so powerful that they convince themselves that they actually are. And so they begin to have all love the symptoms. And see, if you see yourself as a loser, you will only lose. If you see yourself as a bad, bad parent or a bad spouse, you will never improve. If you're young and dating and you, you, you see yourself as unworthy of love, then you will always, always push away good partners and settle for toxic ones. You know, there was an article that came out um, a few years back, and the article was uh, about a situation that this worker was working on a big, huge refrigerator, and, um, and he was fixing something inside of it that was broken, and he got locked inside. And um, so he was locked inside this huge refrigerator, and he started writing on the walls. And uh, he started writing, um, it's getting really cold in here. Uh, my body is starting to stiffen up. And uh, he, he writes a few more sentences about how it keeps getting colder and how he doesn't know if he's going to survive and how he's getting weaker and weaker. And it got to the point where he wrote his last sentence and he said, this is going to be my last sentence. I can't make it anymore. It's so cold. Um, I don't think my body can handle it. Um, a few hours later, um, they find him, they open the lock for the refrigerator, and they find him dead. But what's interesting is um, when they found him dead, they saw that the refrigerator was actually um, not set at the temperature it was supposed to be, and it was set at 56 degrees, which um, actually he could have survived a lot longer than he actually did. But because he had convinced himself that he was in a working refrigerator, in a refrigerator that was probably freezing cold inside of his mind, he in a way convinced himself that he was not able to survive. And so this isn't some like, like guru thing where we're like, oh, you know, if, if you talk it into existence. You... No, 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 it's not that weird. It's just simply if you don't believe that you can do something, you're not going to do it. It's that plain and simple. It's what you, what you think of yourself. If you believe that you deserve a loving husband or a wife, and if you deserve that you, you deserve great things in life, then you're going to have it because it's you who's believing it. Micah 7, 18 through 19 says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities, all our sins into the depths of the sea. And, you know, maybe you're in here and maybe even theologically, you're like, well, I, you know, I can't forgive myself. I, I don't have the strength. I, um, I've done way too much to be able to forgive myself. I want to tell you that there is a person. There is a person and his name is Jesus. And he has an abundance of love, an abundance of forgiveness. And 2,000 years ago, he was thinking of you on that cross. And if you're saying here, I can't forgive myself, I'm here to tell you that Jesus can forgive you. And all you have to do is ask. And the third and last thing that we should do to get closer to our identity, to closer to who we are, is embrace who you are. Embrace who you are. You know, when I, was, um, when I was in film school, I started watching the show Game of Thrones on HBO. Um, yeah, it's a great show. And um, 
pretty much if you haven't seen it, it's, you know, it's medieval Dungeons and Dragons type of thing. But um, I, I found it interesting about this one character in, in, in the show, and his name was Jon Snow. And uh, Jon Snow was uh, in the show born um, as a bastard uh, because his, supposedly his dad had um, conceived him with a woman who wasn't his wife. Um, and he still raised them, but Jon Snow pretty much didn't have any rights, any inheritance. Um, and he was uh, kind of the lowest of the lowest. He was looked down upon. And, and his, him being a bastard always defined him. But what's so cool about the show and the story um, is that a few seasons later, and I think it's like six, seven seasons, uh, two of his friends actually find out that his supposed dad was actually his uncle. And his mom was uh, his supposed dad's sister. And right before she had him, she was actually married to the king. And so seasons later, after he had relinquished all his rights to, you know, bearing children, getting married, you know, having a great life and just living kind of a miserable life his whole life. Um, after all these years, his two friends come up to him and, and, and ask him, do you know who you are? And they tell him, actually, you're not a bastard at all. You're actually the rightful heir to the whole kingdom. You're actually supposed to be a king. And look at what 1 Peter 2.9 says. It says, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I'm here to ask you the question, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Maybe, maybe your parents never told you this. Maybe you have never even told yourself this. But I want to tell you that you are special. That you are loved. That you have a purpose. That you were not a mistake regardless of what your parents or somebody else told you. That your sins that you have done, that doesn't define you. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you've cheated on someone. Maybe, maybe you, you didn't go to college. Maybe you, you did all these things that, that define you. But I want to tell you this morning that that's not who you are. Because what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, that's what defines us. That's what defines who we are. You know, I um, uh, in church, we believe in, in a calling. We believe that God has called you for a specific purpose. And it was many years ago, I remember when it was during a camp that our pastor, Pastor Nestor, was the youth pastor a few pounds ago. Um, <laughs> and uh, for the both of us. And, and, and I remember him praying, um, and he said, you know, dude, um, your, your, your calling um, is to be a pastor. And I had never spoke uh, at this point in life, and he told me that, and I remember it was um, his prophecy. And so I always had that in the back of my head. And I had started the, the, this conversation with the fact that I chose so many other careers, um, and I changed my major so many times, and I wanted to do so many other things. Um, and it got to a point where it was kind of as if God started yelling at me 
and um, asking me that question, do you know who you are? Uh, because it got to a point where, you know, uh, I got really sick, I got cancer, and, um, and uh, my mom got cancer, we lost jobs, it was just a really bad time. Um, and, and I really asked God during this moment, I, I, I was very upset, and I said, God, uh, do you really want me that bad? You know what he said? He said, yes, I do. And maybe for many of you, uh, maybe you're not where you want to be in life. Maybe your marriage isn't where it's supposed to be, or maybe, maybe your kids are getting out of hand. Maybe your self-esteem is going down the drain. Maybe depression is creeping up. I want to ask you, you know who you are. And if you've ever questioned if God really wants you here serving him, the answer is yes. The answer is yes, because who we are is most evident in what Christ has done for us. There's in your outline, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. See, Christianity, Christianity isn't about right and wrong. Christianity is about old and new. Christianity is about who you once were, but who you are now. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. We're not a church about rules and, and legalism and, hey, you, you shouldn't do that. You should we're a church about making you realize who you are. You are no longer your old self, but you are now a new creation. And see, maybe you've allowed your past to define who you are. Well, I want to tell you that this is a great morning to allow Jesus Christ to define who you are. See, I'm not inviting you to a religion of right and wrong. I'm inviting you into a relationship between God, the living God, and a new you. And so I hope that these three things have maybe started a journey for you in, in realizing your identity, realizing how much our past really affects who we become. See, because we can't go somewhere if we don't know where we're at. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.